Amen. Hey. Um, it is great to, to gather together to worship and to look in, into uh, God's Word. And if you're new with us, it's, a, it's especially just an honor and a treat to have you here to, for you to take some time and invest that here. We're grateful, and we pray that tonight would just be a, a very special night of worship and looking into God's Word and just uh, some community. We've got the spaghetti dinner thing happening afterwards, which is not normal. We don't do that every week, but we're throwing a party, and we'd love to have you come if you want to be a part of that. So right after service, and you'll get a couple more woos over there, and that's awesome. So, um, so if you have your Bible, you can go to First Peter. It's toward the tail end of the New Testament. Or if you have your phone and you've downloaded our app, you can actually go to that first page to scroll down to sermon notes, and that's all the sermon notes are in U version there, and you can follow along, uh, all that kind of stuff. So we've been in this series called Changed, looking at First Peter as kind of a touch point, not going exegetically through it, but kind of using portions of it to say, hey, here's some truth for us about this idea that we've been changed. Now. Looking at the idea that someone who has said yes to Jesus and who is following after Jesus, you have been changed spiritually. Now, I know for some of you, you're not there yet, and that's okay. In fact, we want to be a church where you don't have to believe to belong. And you can be on your own spiritual journey investigating things. And some of you have been on that. And you've said yes to Jesus recently because you've been having a place to be on this journey. And we want that for you. And in this idea of being changed, we said there's got to be some markers in your life to say, okay, if you're a person who has said yes to Jesus, who's fallen after him, what are some things that mark your life to say, hey, here's some spiritual progress, if you will, that you've made in your life. And so we looked at the very first week, this idea of a changed heart that a follower of Jesus should be a person who has a changed heart, that it would flow more and more with the love of Jesus. In fact, we said this is the bottom line. A heart changed by Jesus forever flows with the hope and love of Jesus. That it's just a, a reality of what happens in your life. It's a byproduct of you because you've said yes to Jesus. You're just a loving person, and you're getting and growing better. That, in fact, here's one of the greatest spiritual growth questions. Am I more loving today than I was two years ago? And as a person who has said yes to Jesus, fallen after him, if you can't say yes to that, well, check yourself, right? Because, like, this is the big deal to Jesus. Like, if you're going to love like him, then that means love's got to be a part of your life. We said John 13 where Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, look, a new command I give you. You're to love one another like I've loved you. So Jesus demonstrated it and said, this is how it is. This is how it's got to be. In fact, everyone's going to know you're my disciples by the way you love who? One another, right? Love has got to be a marker of your life. The second one, we said, hey, it's about having a changed mind, meaning that we're looking into the scriptures and we're allowing these scriptures that are alive and active begin to penetrate our heart, our thought life, how we see the world, how we interact with the world. We're looking to this for truth and kind of saying, God, okay, take some of the misconceptions and the things of the world and what that says this is what's important and, and replace that with what really matters. And so we would look to the scriptures and say, we want to have our mind, in fact, we said this, a mind marinated with God's scripture leads to a life that's filled with God's power. And we said, hey, this is a big deal, right? That a changed mind means uh, you don't, it doesn't mean you don't ever have doubts or you don't have questions. I've still got some doubts and questions. I've still got some things I'm wrestling through. But the reality is so much has been settled. And so much of my framework and how I see the world is being shaped through God's scripture and the truth that he's saying. This is how to live the best possible life. 
and it's going to lead you to great places. Then last week, we looked at this idea of changed relationships, meaning as a follower of Jesus, it's not just a solo journey. In fact, this really simple biblical principle we see throughout the scripture all over the New Testament, we is greater than me. We live in a culture of a Jason, Jason Bourne reality where we want to be the captains of our own domain, and that's good in a lot of ways because it can drive you, but it can also isolate you. And it can also get you to a place where you keep everyone at arm's length. And throughout the whole New Testament, there's this scripture pull to say, look, you need me, I need you, we need one another. In fact, some of the best spiritual growth that will ever happen in your life will happen at the intersection of your life with God and your life with one another. That's where God's going to do some of his best work to help you grow spiritually. It means we can't isolate. We've got to live a connected life, not just a surrounded life. And so even coming to dinner tonight is a next step for some of you to say, hey, okay, I'm going to try to be a connected life. I'm going to try to get to know some folks. And that's a great thing to do. In fact, we said this, we is greater than me. While your relationship with God is personal, it is never intended to be private. Meaning it's never intended just to be you and God. It's meant to be you and God and others in that process because they're going to chip away at some of your character. I don't know if you know this, but you're flawed. (laughs) Aren't you glad you came? Um, Look, I'm flawed too. And God uses people often to kind of chip away at the rough edges of you and me to show us here's some things that are out of kilter, here's some things that are out of alignment, here's some, some parts of your character and my character too, where God uses people to say, look, uh, I'm gonna speak to you through this relationship and we're gonna chip away at some of this to make you better, to make you the best version of you that Jesus wants you to be. And that takes relationships. It takes this idea of living life one to another, of falling after Jesus, that he not only changed you permanently as you put your faith in him, but he's always in the process of changing you. That's the sanctification, big $10 theology word. That just means God is always changing you, making you better. It is impossible to follow Jesus and not get changed in the process. Proximity to Jesus will change you. And that's the point. It's growing you. It's helping you. And so tonight, I want to look at this idea for us to explore together. What does it mean to be a person who's marked with this idea of a changed community? Meaning, okay, I've got a changed heart. I've got a changed mind. My relationships are changing around me. And now I want to make a change in the community around me. People who are following after Jesus begin to have this desire well up in their hearts to say, it's not about me. That's what we looked at a little bit last week. It's not about me. It's about this idea of saying, hey, we're going to be about impacting the community around us. N.T. Wright is a a famous New Testament scholar, writer, author, uh, professor at a kind of a Midwest seminary. Uh, I really enjoy his reading, if you've ever read something from him. Very deep, very good thinker. And uh, he wrote something about five, six years ago I stumbled across. Just a simple phrase that for me it triggered something. And it's, I've wrestled with it ever since. And I'm going to read one portion of that. He says this in multiple writings. But here's something that he says, talking about this idea that as one who's been changed by Jesus, you are not only enfolded into the family of God, we're, we're us, it's we is greater than me now, but you've also been commissioned to be this agent for God. Here's how he puts it. The point of following Jesus isn't simply so that we can be sure of going to a better place than this when we die. Our future beyond death is enormously important. It does matter. 
because there is a future after death, and it matters who we know will direct where that goes. And so he goes on, he says, our future beyond death is enormously important, but the, mat- uh, the nature of Christian hope is such that it plays back into the present life. We're called, here and now, to be instruments of God's new creation, which has already been launched by Jesus, of which Jesus' followers are supposed to be not just simply beneficiaries, but also agents. Now, I don't know if that rung true for me five or six years ago because I always dreamed about being a secret agent. I just thought that would be the coolest job in the world. Am I right? Okay, two of you. Perfect. We could hang out. Um, so, you know, we always thought this idea of being a secret agent would be this awesome thing that, like, you'd have this side job, like, where you just, you work at Jack in the Box because my name's Jack and that's what I thought. So then, like, I would have this secret life that I would have, right? And, and, and this would be this adventurous life. But the reality is, okay, it is like that. I just don't get paid to do it. It is like that. I just don't have a cool car with all the gadgets. It is like that. I just have one identity. But in this process, that's what N.T. Wright is saying. That's what the scriptures are saying. Is as you have been a person who has changed, you've said yes to Jesus and you're following after him, you are an agent for God, for God and for his good in this world. And that, that changes our whole perspective on life when it's not all about you when it's about you being commissioned to go and do. As followers of Jesus, we're agents for God, we're advocates, we're influencers for godly transformation and God's good in this world. Let me just ask you a simple question. Do you think we need more of that in our world? I sure do. Do you know whose job is to do it? It's yours, it's mine. It's our job to do this. It's our job to do for God and to do good for him, to be an advocate and an influencer for him. So in 1 Peter chapter 3, this is where we're going tonight, kind of looking at this phrase. And if you have a pen, I'm going to have you highlight a couple different things in here. So here's what he says. He just kind of starts off in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. It's kind of where we're starting. We're going to go through verse 17. Uh, finally, all of you, this is Peter writing. Remember, he started this whole letter that you have this incredible secure hope, this hope in Jesus And now you have this hope, there's some things that are going to change in your life. And he talked about this idea of a changed heart and a changed mind and changed relationships one to another. And now he's speaking about this idea of changed community. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, and be humble. Do not repay evil for evil or insult for insult. Can we just stop right there? Do you think our world would be better if we just did that? Right? Seriously. So whose job is it to do that? Well, it's our job. Okay, that's part of our job as an agent for God. Just do this, okay? Be like-minded, be sympathetic, be kind, love one another. Don't repay evil for evil. Let's start with trying that. Then he quotes from Psalm 34. He says, for whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil, their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. Circle that if you got a pen in your Bible. Do good. Like, that's part of our job is to do good in this world that they may seek peace, pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ear is attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Then he comes back and he stops quoting from Psalm 34 and he goes into a little bit more. Who is gonna harm you if you are eager to to do good? That's a good question. Who's gonna harm you if you're trying to do good? But even if you should suffer, 
for what is right. You are blessed. Listen, if we set our lives to say we want to be people who are for God and for his good and we're going to try to do some good, we're going to partner up with the Holy Spirit, we're going to move forward and in each step of our life, we're going to try to aim our life the best we know how to do some good. Do you think people will like that? I think most people will. Do you think there might be a little bit of pushback from people? Anybody? Might be a little bit, right? And what does Peter say? So what? That's pretty much what he says. If you get pushed back against because you're trying to be a person who does good, so what? Keep going. That's what he's saying. So what if you have to suffer a little bit? So what if it's inconvenient a little bit? It's not all about you. That's what we've been saying. So this is about you being on mission. Do not fear their threats. Do not feel frightened. Verse 15, here's the key verse for tonight. But in your hearts, revere Christ as your Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. That's the hope that started this whole entire book of 1 Peter. This hope you have in Jesus, that's your anchor. That's what fuels you. That's why you can be a person who lives with the hope and love of Jesus forever flowing out of you. Because you're not manufacturing it. It's coming from a different source. But you do this with gentleness and respect. Listen, for the church today, this is a great verse. I'm gonna point it out again. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. He's the leader. Always be prepared to give an answer to the hope that you have for the reason and for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. That's key. Because we live in a culture where a lot of people in the church like to yell a lot of things. I'm not speaking to you, but I'm speaking to the people you know. Right? We, we have been hurt The message of Jesus has been hurt because of the voice, and not necessarily the voice, but the volume. God gave you two ears and one mouth, and too often the church has used its mouth and neglected its ears. And so the whole point of this is that we would live in such a way that we would earn the right to be heard, we would earn the right to invite people to just begin to look in Jesus' direction. And that means we've got to love the right way, with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you and your good behavior in Christ would be ashamed of their slander, meaning do good. And if you get pushed back on it, so what? Keep going. That's what Peter's saying. One of the great callings as a follower of Jesus is we get the opportunity to invite others toward Jesus by what we do, what we say, and how we live. Your life is speaking. Is it speaking in a way where people want to hear what you have to say? That's the question. And that's one we have to wrestle with. That Jesus' last words, you look at Matthew 28, and Matthew 28, um, we often refer to this passage as the Great Commission. Uh, Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and now you go and make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and behold, I'm with you always. 
And so it's this challenge to go. Jesus' final words are to be and to remain our first priority. You know what's fascinating? You don't have to raise your hands for this, but did you know that was the Great Commission? Barna did research that came out a month ago that said 51% of people who go to church don't even know what the Great Commission is. So 49% do, maybe. Maybe it's the way it's worded. Maybe we don't use those words much anymore. So there's a lot of things that can tilt statistics. But this idea that it's a decision for the church and for an opportunity for the church in this moment to say, what are we going to be about? Are we a collection of do-gooders? And we just rally together every week? Or are we a bunch of agents for God? who gather every week to put our heart and our focus on Jesus because he's the most important thing and we get recharged and then we get scattered to go be the church because really that's what the Great Commission is. It's a challenge to say to you, as someone who has said yes to Jesus, who's fallen after him, you're an agent for God wherever you go. In your workplace, in your friendship networks, in the stores that you frequent over and over. You're an agent for God wherever you go. Live like it. Invite yourself into that journey. Listen, it's not all about you. It's not all about me. That's hard to hear as Americans because we like it to be all about us. In fact, we live most of our life geared trying to make it that. But what Peter is saying, what the scriptures in the New Testament are saying is, look, you've been involved into something so much bigger, and we is greater than me, and you're a part of a family. And you're not just part of a family, but you're a part of a family who lives on mission. Matthew 28, you're to go and make disciples. Go and do. You're to go and do. Acts 1.8, you're to be my witnesses to the ends of the street. No, that's not what he says. To the ends of the earth, to every corner of the globe. You're to go and be my disciples. You're not just a disciple of Jesus. You're gonna be a disciple maker for Jesus. That you reach out and you love the people around you and you point them in Jesus' direction. Maybe you earn the right to be heard and you share your story a little bit. And you invite people to say, hey, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for you? And, and, and what does the story begin to say? That Jesus' last command is to remain our first priority. That we're compelled to share the good news of God because God's love is for all people. We're to share God's hope and love and mercy through the way we live and the way we speak and what we do. That we have these Jesus-like encounters as people bump into you. Here's an honest question to ask yourself. When people bump into you, when they interact with you, are they experiencing a little bit of what it would have been like to bump into Jesus? That's a great question to wrestle with. Am I so preoccupied in my Mondays? Look, everybody has a Monday, right? It's coming tomorrow. Heads up. Everybody has Mondays. Sometimes you have a Monday on a Thursday. Okay? Just don't talk a lot that day. But on the days that aren't feeling like a Monday, you're still an agent for God. Be active. Be alert. Jesus always said, he who has ears, let him hear. He who has eyes, let him see. What if God's work is going on around us all the time, and we're so zeroed in on our own selves that we miss it? 
and we miss the opportunities he's continually steering across our path. Tim Keller wrote this, um, being public about your faith simply means not hiding the wellspring of your life, not hiding who you truly are. It doesn't mean you have to be weird for Jesus and make every conversation with the person at the hardware store about Jesus. Look, you were just asking where the wood was or where, you know, like, don't make it weird, but be normal. And in your normal conversations, as things turn spiritual or turn to a place where people are hurting and you can maybe offer to pray with them and that you could do that without being weird about it. Inviting people into a life-giving, life-changing relationship with Jesus is the mission of this church. It's a what we're about. It's the great commission that we would go and make disciples and that you as a follower of Jesus would can turn around and help others begin to follow him as well. And if we ever stop doing that, then we should close the doors. Because the mission of the church is for people who aren't here yet. It's for people who are your friendships and your scope of influence and the people around you. We don't simply gather as the church. We do that for an hour and 15 minutes once a week. Maybe if you're in a small group, another hour or so. But we scatter to be the church in the city around us. Our aim is to live in a way consistently, not perfectly, okay? Raise your hand if you're perfect. No one's hand should be up, right? This idea that we're not perfect, but we live consistently so that we would earn the right to be heard. We would earn the right to invite people closer to Jesus and to our own lives and maybe to church down the road. That we would earn the right to invite them. That we would not shout at people. This is the way, this is the way. But maybe we would come alongside people and we'd say, I I found a better way for me. I found a way that made sense and it's changing me. Would you like to hear about it? Life with God is changing me. And I'd love to pray that for you. And I'd love to talk about it if you want. And we earn the right to be heard. We don't aim to win arguments and yet alienate people. But we aim to woo people toward the very Savior that rescued us. A rescued people rescue people. That's what we do. A rescued people who have been rescued just turn around and try to rescue other people. Because that's what we've experienced. We all need the hope and love of Jesus. What good is a half-hearted Christian? What good is a deluded believer? What good is a decaf disciple? Not a whole lot. Jesus was the most compassionate and driven individual ever because of his love for people, his love for you. And when you've said yes to him, you're invited to now be an agent for God and for his good in this world that people need to know. So don't try to be something that you're not. You don't have to be the biggest spiritual rah-rah cheerleader. You don't have to be overly bold, extroverted Christian champion. Just be you. And you and the Holy Spirit seize opportunities that as an agent for God and for his good in this world, he's gonna bring across your path and that you would seize it. We have a saying around here we use a lot, that you do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Listen, I know you don't have the scope or the resources to solve every problem in the world, and neither do I, and neither all put together we can't. But we can do for one what we wish we could do for everyone, right? And the opportunity as one who lives as an agent for God, we can say, Holy Spirit, today is your day. It's even a Monday, and it's still your day. 
and I'm going to need extra caffeine and extra hope today so that I can try to live and represent you well and be for God and for his good in this world. And would you just help me to have ears to ear and eyes to see and ways around me that I can speak into a situation or I can come alongside someone who is really dealing with a lot and I can just comfort them with your comfort. I can maybe breathe a little bit of your hope into their life. I can just come alongside and, and, and I can't fix every problem, but if you want to bring a problem across my path, and I'll, I'll try to fix that one. I can do for one what I wish I could do for everyone. As my kids were growing up, there was a, a couple different things that I tried strategically, the best I could, uh, to do for them. And, and those two things were, one, life lessons, and then prayer time. Life lessons was simply dad got an opportunity as we were going through the streets or driving somewhere that I thought, okay, here's some wisdom for life. And I would say, okay, here's a life lesson on uh, honesty, right? So I would say it's important for you to be an honest person. Because people who are not honest, they kind of get caught up in their own lies. And, and the scriptures kind of say that we're to live with a truthful heart, an honest heart. And so here's the deal. When I would say life lesson, here's what my kid's response would be. <sighs> and I would just roll with it because I'm a cool dad. Um, and then I would say I got 60 seconds because that's what I had. I had 60-second timer so dad couldn't lecture forever. And I would say, okay, here's what the life lesson I want you to learn. And the other cool thing I got to do was just as I was putting my kids to bed, just having some prayer time with them, praying over them, praying for them, praying for God to develop the skills and abilities and talents and dreams and passions that he's put within them, that he would unwrap those more and more as they grew, that they would grow to know those and, and just love that and to be them, be fully them, not trying to be somebody else. And I always have this one little phrase I'd tack on at the end. God, would you use our family to make a difference in the world for you? Would you use our family to make a difference in the world for you? I don't know what that looks like. Uh, there's no agenda there. But I'm convinced that that's a prayer God loves to answer. I've seen it. And whether it's doing for one what we wish you could do for everyone or whether it's just jumping in with other people to say, hey, here's an opportunity and we're going to do it that we would find ways to say, God, just would you use us to make a difference in the world for you? That's what an agent for God prays. That's what an agent for God prays. It's just a part of what they think in their own mind to say, God, we want to help them. Matthew chapter five, Jesus is teaching. He talks about salt and light, right? Maybe you're familiar with this. He talks about you're the salt of the world, right? You're God's flavoring to this world. That's pretty sweet. How many of you like salt? How many of you like flavor? How many of you don't like food? Okay, whatever. Um, you're the light of the world, right? You're the light of the world, Jesus says. Verse 14, a town that's built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and hide it under a bowl that's dumb. I added that part. And it gives light to everyone. They put it on a stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify who? Your Father in heaven that they might see your good deeds. What did Peter say? Do good. Don't stop. Do good. You're an agent for God. Do good. And let people, let that point people to the source of your hope. Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have, the faith that you have. C.S. Lewis wrote this, don't shine so that others see you, but shine so that through you, others can see him. Live this life that says, I want to be a light of the world kind of person. And I want to point people to Jesus. I want to live this as this agent for God. Look, don't take a nap on God. 
we're to take action for God. We're to live this idea of living this out, that you're filled up with God's presence and power. The goal of the church isn't to be a collection of a bunch of filled up people and blessed people. Go read Psalm 103 this week. It's got 10 to 12 different blessings that are all yours because you said yes to Jesus. You are a blessed person. You may have struggles, but you are blessed. Listen, this isn't a collection of just blessed people. We're not to be a collection of just filled up, blessed people. We're to be a collection of people who are pouring themselves out for the world to see the one who fills us and blesses us all the time. The rem- uh, kind of this reminder of this comfortable Christianity. I think so often our culture kind of pushes us to say Christianity should all be about your comfort. And I want to say, bah! <laughs> because you live in America. And I do too. Let's go talk to our brothers and sisters around the world. Because they don't see Christianity from the couch of comfort. Because our crucified and risen Savior, I don't think the main goal of his going through all of that was for your comfort or mine. It was to raise up people who would live on mission with him to love a hurting and broken world around us. To say, look, this is not about me. Comfort was not his main aim. And friends, if and when comfort becomes our primary focus as a follower of Jesus, then our hearts have drifted from the mission. It just has. So as all of our friends say, check yourself before you wreck yourself. This idea of saying, God, I don't, I don't mind being comfortable, and it's okay to have a season where you're, you're resting or a season where you're getting refilled. That's okay. I'm not against that. But the, make that your primary goal as a follower of Jesus, friend, is just not in here. It's just not. We have hope. That's what carries us. The movement of Jesus was never about come and chill. It was always about go be and do. Go into the world. Be my witnesses. Do good. Be for people in my love. The movement of Jesus is an action movie, not a romantic comedy. The movement of Jesus has action to it. So what does it look like if a church would say yes to that? Do you think a watching world would take notice? I think they would. I think they do. I think our world is hungry for churches who say they love Jesus to be Jesus on display for them to watch, to be changed by, to be bumped into, to invite people closer to Jesus, this life-giving, life-changing relationship with him, to connect together in Christ, to serve others, and to bring them the hope and light of Jesus. As we pursue that, we sit back at the same time and catch our breath and we watch God do what only God can do. But we're to be on mission. We don't simply gather as the church, we scatter to be the church. God's life-giving grace is what we need, it's what people need, it's what our world needs. And they don't get it. The best vehicle that Jesus seems to portray in the scriptures is the local church. That's the vehicle of his grace. It's believers like you and like me that he wants to put on display through our lives and how we live, that his love and his hope is available to all. Dwight L. Moody said this, show me a church where there is love and I'll show you a church that has power in the community. 
that they're living consistently. So can I just refresh our memories? Because it was fun doing this exercise this week of thinking back over the last five years of what God's allowed us the opportunity to partner with his Holy Spirit to do. Do you know you've, you've given over 1,000 backpacks to kids at John B. Wright and Hollinger Elementary School who have had their lives brightened a little bit because people they maybe have never met said you matter. You matter to God, so you matter to us, and we're gonna help you. And so you've done that over the last several years. Serve Sunday projects, I can't even put a total of how much has been spent or how many hours have been invested into working with Caring Ministries, with John B. Wright Elementary, with Catalina High School. Uh, I don't know if you, when you drove onto Catalina High School last week for maybe the generosity feeds, if you just took notice of how the campus has changed over the last three or four years the impact that you've gotten to have with that. Shopping for the group home. I got to see one of the kids that we took shopping, I think it was just under a year ago, uh, to buy coats and jackets, and a few of you went shopping with us for that. Kids who are up from um, El Salvador and other uh, South American countries, and they don't have family here. They're here in a group home. And in fact, that group home came and helped pack meals last week with you at Generosity Feeds. We got to take them shopping and they got to spend money to, you know, $250 each to buy clothes that they needed. And you did that. You provided that experience for them. You partnered with John B. Wright, with Catalina, with Caring Ministries, impacting foster families and single moms, Habitat for Humanity families, a host of individuals that we've been able to come alongside and invest in their life. You packed 20,050 meals last Sunday alone that are gonna be handed out. Some were handed out this morning from this place. And so you're making a difference because you're an agent for God. And we've said as a church, it's not just about us. It's not about us gathering together. We're gonna scatter to be the church. And so we're gonna serve. We're gonna serve our community because we want our community to be different. We want, if Element City Church went away, for people to miss us. True. That's what we want. We want the church to be a source of hope for people, pointing them to the true source, which is Jesus. So the key verse, again, for us, 1 Peter 3.15. This is the one that challenged to memorize, if you want. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. He's the leader. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Here's the bottom line for tonight. In a God-changed life, a God-changed life will infuse godly change into the community around you. A God-changed life will infuse godly change into the community around you. How many of you like Thanksgiving? Really thought I'd hear an amen there. Okay, so anyway, Thanksgiving's awesome. I I love turkey. People like turkey. Turkey people, okay, all right, awesome. Some of you are like tofu, and that's just ungodly. Um, but so turkey, I remember as a kid, and my grandmother would come with my mom, and they would make this turkey, and, and I don't know what they would do to it, but they would take this turkey, and then they would like inject stuff into the turkey. I don't think it was roids or anything, because look at me, but um, just they would inject stuff into the turkey. They would infuse, that's what infuse means. I don't know all of what they put in it. I just know it as deliciousness. That's what I called it. And when it would come out of the oven and people would like carry it to the table and angels would sing and we'd all gather around and our lives would be changed. I don't know if your house had this experience, but my house had this experience every single uh, Thanksgiving. And it was because they infused something into that. It changed it. 
That's what Peter, I think, is pointing to. This idea that the church would infuse something into the community around it. That the community would be changed. That the deliciousness, if you will, of Jesus would be, would be able to be tasted and seen and enjoyed. That people would be different from it. If you've ever been camping and you think at night, you sit around, and all of a sudden you turn the flashlight on. And where does the darkness go in that moment? The, the light illuminates the darkness, right? That's what we want to do here in Midtown, is push the darkness back, because we're fighting in a fight that's real. But we want to be a people, a light-of-the-world kind of people, a light-of-the-world kind of church that pushes darkness back, It's gaining about godly influence and learning to leverage your life for God and for his good in this world around us. It's creating kingdom ripples, if you will. Anyone ever skipped rocks on a lake? What happens when you skip that first rock and it hits the first time, right? There's this ripple that goes out, and where does it go? All the way to the edges, right? What if our world doesn't have edges? What? I don't know if that's true, but go with me on this. Do you know that the interactions you have with the people around you, as you're trying to seek God and to seek his good in this world, you never know where the end of that kingdom ripple effect will have on that individual or that family or their community. You don't know where the edge is. You don't have any control over that. But God does. And isn't it amazing that people he put in your life that something happened, there's this kingdom ripple effect across your life and it changed you. And it's still changing you. And you get to be a part, as an agent for God, we get to be a part of seeing that effect on other people. We are blessed to be a blessing. We're not blessed just to hold on to it. We're blessed to give it away because God's got a whole lot more. And he can keep blessing so that we keep being a blessing to the world around us intentionally that we be about the kingdom of God and his work, his good. A God-changed life will infuse godly change into the community around you, whether that's your one coworker, or whether that's 1,000 people or whether that's 20,000 people or more. This is the opportunity we get to have as a church. We get to be the church. And so I want to pray toward that end. We're going to have a time for communion and one final song. Brian will close us out. We've got the spaghetti dinner. So, but I want you to wrestle with this week. What's that one thing? God, would you give me ears to hear and eyes to see that I might be alert to how you want me to partner with you, how we as a church can partner together to make a difference in this world for you. We could be agents for God in this world. And so, Father, that's what I pray for, that each one of us individually here, Holy Spirit, you, you have the power to do this. Would you individually Give us some assignments this week. Maybe people we need to come alongside, people we need to cheer for, people we need to bring some of your comfort or some of your love or your hope into their life. Maybe there's some resources, some opportunities that we can speak into. Maybe there's an interaction that we can have. Would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see it, to partner with you, say yes to that, to live this adventurous life with you, God. As a church, you know our hearts. We want to make a difference for you. We don't want to simply gather and collect, but we want to scatter to be your hands and your feet and your hope in this city and beyond. 
So, Father, would you continue to create and carve and, and uh, bring the resources needed to make all of that happen? Would you help us be a church that always lives commissioned, to be a people who always live on mission as agents for you, for God and for your good, that we'd be people who continually do good? And if we face opposition, that we'd say, so what? And we just keep going. And that you would use our lives and use your church create a kingdom ripple across this city and all around the world, that you'd raise up your church, not just elements, but your church around the city to have that kind of heart that we'd want to live to change the community around us. We pray that. Father, would you stir our hearts as we take communion here? Would you stir our hearts as we sing this last song? Would you show us maybe our next step in that? We ask that in Jesus' name.